Today, we have the pleasure of talking with Elaine Pasqua. Elaine is a keynote speaker, corporate trainer, and career development coach. Elaine works with organizations to help them attract and retain talent regardless of the economic climate. She has helped empower thousands of professional athletes on 31 pro teams and high achievers in countless businesses and associations. Her passion for creating positive work environments and helping people reach their potential will become instantly apparent to you. Welcome to the Subscription Maker Podcast. This is your host, Zachary Alexander. Please hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast so that you won't miss any new episodes. The current climate has put an unprecedented strain on businesses and organizations, and many of you are looking for answers on attracting and retaining talent to help you meet your company goals. So we've got just the expert for you. Elaine, welcome to the Subscription Maker Podcast. Thank you, Zachary. It's a pleasure to be back with you. What do you think about the phrase, the great reshuffle? I mean, it's being used by people for poor people who are in the tech sector and being released from one position and taking their talents elsewhere. So the jobs don't really go away. You know, and what what people need to understand is the great reshuffle came out of the great resignation. And a lot of people believe that a lot of people were leaving their jobs, but they didn't understand that what happened during the pandemic is people um, kind of rethought their lives and 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 understood that now there's um, something called the quality of life and that they need to find greater work-life balance. And so they didn't quit their jobs necessarily. What they were now looking for is a better work-life balance and better quality of, of, of work. And so, what they are, are looking for now are um, jobs where they may not have to commute to work if they want to work at home. Some people are really holding their ground with that. And um, they want a, to work for an organization where they feel like they're valued and, um, and, it, and it just meets their needs more. Instead of focusing that work being the most important thing now, they feel that that life is, is uh, that, that balance is really important for them. So um, it's happening to a lot of people. A lot of people are, you know, back in the day, people stayed at one job forever. And then they got their gold watch at the end of, you know, 30 years or so and had that nice luncheon and that was it. And now it's okay to be leaving a job frequently. It doesn't look bad on a resume. And generally what we're seeing is that those, especially in the tech sector, when they're moving from one job to another, they're getting greater benefits or getting more uh, greater pay or um, greater, you know, work conditions. And that's important to people now. And I think that's a good thing because we want to be happier and healthier. So you, you actually answered two questions that I had. You know, one, you talked about, you know, um, about the reshuffle, but you've also gone into great detail about what's changed. Could you tell us um, how you are, what you do to help create a positive uh, workplace? There's a number of different ways that um, I help organizations develop that positive workplace culture. First of all, the most important thing they need to do is understand that this is one of the, the um, crucial things to finding and retaining good employees, that they have to create a positive workplace culture because it's so important to people now. I mean, our, our, the majority of our wake, wake, waking hours are at work. 
So people deserve to be happy and deserve to feel good about what they're doing and feel safe coming into an environment. So there's many different ways of creating a positive workplace culture. There's, um, I think a lot of it starts with leading with the heart. I just finished up my term as uh, the president of National Speaker Association's Philadelphia chapter. And I've never led an organization before. And I describe my leadership skills as one with a heart, where you're really looking at the people individually and trying to embrace them and make them feel good and make them feel important, valued and respected for who they are. So that's first and foremost. How do you do that? You create a culture and you, do, you actually provide training on diversity and inclusion. You provide trainings on workplace harassment, effective communication, all these different things that you bring in and you constantly educate your staff so you can um, raise awareness as to how their day-to-day -day behaviors can make somebody feel good about where they are or make somebody feel really um, negative about where they are and not wanting to come to work on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's our goal. We want people to feel happy about coming to work because if they feel good about where they are, they're going to be way more productive for you. And like when we look at diversity and inclusion, we find that organizations that are more diverse have a higher, um, they, 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 they make, they're more innovative and they generate more profits than those with a higher intellectual pool. Based on your experience, how long does it take before you start to see results? Sometimes it can be immediate. I have done some trainings. I did a, a corporate training for an organ, national organization. And the next, like within days, um, somebody wrote to me and said, we could already see a difference within our organization. So certain things can become evidence. And that was just in the way people were treating each other because that was a, a, a program on workplace or training on workplace harassment. And so some of the res results can be immediate. Some can take a long time. It just depends on what goals you have and what you're necessarily going for. And I think a lot of it also has to do with how well you impact the people and how open they are to making changes. Um, Self-reflection is really important. We want people to look at their own behaviors and the way they interact with the others. And when they can do that, then they can be more prone to making changes that are necessary. You know, the reason I ask that is because a lot of times people get caught up in, you know, how quickly they see results. And if it takes a while, they can think, oh, I'm doing something wrong. So it really, it's really helpful when you, when you bring, when you actually highlight that it can take a while. Well, I think sometimes when things take longer, it could be more of a permanent shift and change. Sometimes if things happen so quickly, it could be like um, when you go to see a program, about someone who's talking about um, alcohol or drunk driving and then everybody's like, all right, I'm gonna be really good this weekend. And then two weekends from now, they're all just back to drinking the way they were. And so sometimes those quick results are not necessarily the ones that will stick with an individual. So steady is the way to go. Elaine, tell us a little bit about Pasqua Productions. Pasqua Productions, we've been in business for, oh, since 1997. And the, well, I didn't incorporate into Pasqua Productions until about the year 2002, but I've been in business since 1997 and started working with health professionals 
and working with colleges and universities, and then gradually uh, working with professional and collegiate athletes, and then working with associations and organizations. Um, doing a lot of different type of keynote speeches and training. A lot of it is in regards to making positive choices um, through healthy behaviors, be health for yourself, uh, healthy behaviors in the way you treat one another. So a lot of my areas of expertise have circled around high-risk drinking, um, sexual assault, sexual health, about responsible social media. And, and then in the workplace environment, that has been and more related to workplace relationships. So uh, workplace harassment, diversity, equity, and inclusion, public speaking skills, effective communication between one another, and also health and wellness, because health and wellness right now is important. And in fact, more recently, because I've been speaking for so long, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because as a professional speaker, there are people that are known as generalists, and then there are people that are known for the one word. And you'll look at that person, you'll go, that's the so-and-so person. I can't be, I'm not the one word person. And because I have, I have constantly evolved my business and my trainings to meet the, the current trends because things have changed dramatically. I first started speaking about HIV and AIDS because I lost my mom and stepdad to AIDS related complications, never realizing that I would end up here 27 years later. But I like that because I like to learn. I like to keep myself uh, stimulated, and I like to keep up with current trends. So that's why my programming and my trainings have evolved over the years. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. What I find is that when you go into an organization, you don't know what they need. You know, you have a clue, someone tells you, but when you really get in there, they tell you, well, I, we think we need this. But as you start to look at what they're doing, as you start to interact with them, you find out that they may need what they need is something actually completely different. And if you're a generalist, if you're someone that basically responds to the situation and not to the branding, okay, I'm so-and-so and this is what I do. So I got a hammer. And if you're not a nail, I'm still going to, you know, I'm still going to treat you as a nail, you know? Good point. Excellent point. No, that, that, that's a great way of, of describing it. I've had some organizations that have come to me and say, we want you to do um, training for us on sexual harassment. And I said, sure. And then I get on the phone with them and it totally evolves to, well, no, now we think we really want you to do more general workplace harassment. And that's a different type of training because it hits on many different issues and topics within the working environment. So your, your point is, is excellent. Well taken. Now, did you have to pivot during the uh, pandemic? Oh, yes. <laughs> it's not easy. And um, it's, it's, first I had to pivot from my whole schedule bottomed out. And in fact, I, I know the date. It was March 12th in 2020. My bags were packed. And the next day I was going to be in Phoenix providing training for the rookies at the Texas Rangers. And that afternoon, a friend of mine on the 12th um, sent me a text. She she is a sports newscaster, and she said, Major League Baseball just shut everything down. And I was like, oh, no, here we go. And I contacted the Rangers, and they said, we're in a meeting. We're talking about you. We'll get back to you. And three hours later, they got back, and they said, we have to cancel it. And from that day on, everything that I had booked just 
totally canceled and wiped out. So suddenly, you know, your livelihood just blew up. You know, lots of people were still able to make a living during the pandemic, but for those of us who were speakers, everything just got wiped away. And so now you suddenly had to shift and become a virtual presenter. So I got virtual certification. Um, we bought, invested in a lot of equipment, built a studio in our basement, painted a green wall, did all this. Um, I did a series of modules on diversity, equity, and inclusion for a well-known uh, medical diagnostics company. And so everything just shifted completely. And so, you know, you, you have to be nimble. You have to learn. It's not easy. Uh, the tech aspect was driving me crazy. I have a profound gratitude now for the sound person who is working in a, oh, at a theater when I walk in the room and they're handing me the microphone and the sound is excellent. And I was like, thank you, thank you. Because of some of the, you know, there were so many issues that we had with tech that was just driving me crazy. So yeah, you had to be nimble. You had to change your content to address the needs that lots of people were at home now and lots of people were working virtually. So you had to be current in that regard too, to what was happening with the pandemic. But that's the way my business has been for years. You know, I first again started speaking about HIV and AIDS and then suddenly it was not the deadly disease that it was when I first started speaking. So I needed to shift. And so I've been constantly shifting throughout my career. So it's been an easy, somewhat easy thing for me. I mean, the pandemic was the most challenging anything yeah i guess the, the reason i ask is because i was wondering who do you talk to when you need to make big decisions um being a member of national speakers association i have a lot of a lot of very some of my closest friends are within this organization and we're a family and so i meet with a group every wednesday afternoon and though that group has been remarkable i also have a mastermind group and then I have some very, very close friends. In fact, I have a call in with a friend as I'm talking about a, a certain shift that I'm looking at right now. And, you know, a lot of people come from different perspectives and different backgrounds. So they're sometimes able to help me. I just did a uh, four day uh, mastermind group where I lived with eight speakers in Tampa uh, in the beginning of December. And it was a remarkable, remarkable learning experience. So as long as you've been doing something you can always learn and you should never stop learning because when you do that's when you become stale at your craft and i talk to my husband a lot too he's been involved with my business and he's been a good sounding board as well so i often run things by jeff as well so to kind of move that into how you help organizations what's the best way for organizations to stay uh, active on and and basically to stay abreast of the changes in the workplace. I think that to be a good leader, you need to talk to the people who are working for you. And that's one of the things that I did when I first took on the presidency of NSA Philadelphia. I individually called every member and said, what are we doing right? And what can we do to make this better? And I think that a, a good leader listens no matter what position the person is or how high, how much higher you are than the other people. I think a good leader has empathy 
Um, empathy is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And so you can create a more equitable workforce uh, for people where, again, your goal as, as a leader is to make everybody feel valued and respected for who they are. And when they do feel that, then they're going to put their best steps forward to perform as best that they can. So, um, so I think listening is, is the most important thing. They say that we spend 10% of our time listening to an individual and 90% of our time formulating a response. And my best line that I quote all the time Larry King, when he was signing off on the air, his very last show, he said, I never learned anything while I was talking. And so I think that's what an organization needs to do is to listen. And then they need to meet their needs through training. Look at what their assessments are. What they also need to do is look at the trends that are out there. What are their customers' needs? What do the, you know, what do they want? Um, because trends are constantly changing. And so you always need to be reading, you need to be researching, and you need to be talking to other people. So not even just people in your organization, but how about the customers that you are serving and how can you best meet their needs as well? Okay, I wanna drill down on that a little bit. Uh, you're, in general, you need to talk to your, your employees, but how does that differ or does that differ when you're talking about diversity and inclusion? When you're talking about diversity and inclusion. And staying abreast of, of, of the changes and how the, the triggers and how they change. You know, as a company, you think, okay, we understand what this is, but then you find out that the Me Too movement has just popped up. I know, I know. Or, or, George, or after George Floyd was murdered. I mean, the, the, the look at the dramatic shift that that went from because that even changed diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And suddenly everybody started to think after the murder of George Floyd that diversity is just about race, but it's not. It's about being a woman of short stature. I'm in my 60s, um, looking at people who are disabled, looking at people of different nationalities, people with accents. You know, there's so many different things that come under that umbrella of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, the difference is going back to your question, it's important for people to understand that we all come from different backgrounds. We were raised in different geographic regions with different parents, different parents of different generations. I was raised by depression era parents. So I have a very different perspective in the way that I hang on to things and don't hang on to things and, 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 and whatnot. Um, we have to understand that our perspectives are different and we have to get to know each other and to talk to one another so we have that understanding we don't lose that because sometimes like a a, a supervisor will come to an employee with a, a request or something and a lot of times they don't understand it because they don't know what the perspective is of that supervisor and so the more we communicate with one another the healthier our relationship is going to be. And that's so diversity, equity, inclusion is important because it allows us to, to find common ground. Um, people oftentimes will break off into their own different silos. And I think it's important that an organization tries to foster relationships of people of all diverse backgrounds. We have four different generations in the workforce right now, and they all have very distinct characteristics. How do you get those generations to work well with one another and to respect one another? 
you know, baby boomers are looked at as, oh, they're old, they're square, they're stodgy. And then people are making fun of millennials or, or Gen Z or whatever. And so we, we need to find common ground and realize that we're here for the better of the organization. What can we all do to make this work? So. Yeah, I guess I bring that up because I've been watching what's been going on with, you know, I've been watching what's going on between Harry and Megan and, and what's happening there and drilling down on the difference in how different countries view uh, challenges and, and challenging situations. You know, in England, what it appears to be is that they are very, they are very much about duty and they, they idolize the people who made it through the blitz. You know, in America, we're like, look, you know, if things are bad, if you're, if your family treats you bad, you know, we're told that you get toxic people mm -hmm. out of your life. You know, that's the number one thing we tell people. Toxic people will bring you down. If you keep them around, they will tank you. So in one country, you've got people who are saying, why doesn't, you know, family is everything. In another country, you've got people saying, you got to protect yourself. Yeah. Where do you find the balance between the two? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and I don't know where I fall in that one because um, I, I do believe you have to get rid of toxic people. I don't know. That's an interesting, that's an interesting, that's a whole different conversation. I, I will say the one thing that we don't do in the United States, like we do in other countries, we don't have the same respect for the elderly as we should. And this is the site. Yes. And, and yes. now that I am considered, I am technically a senior citizen, but I am very young and very energetic. And most people believe that I'm like 15 years younger than I am because that's just my, that, that's, I do what I can to, it's just my energy, whatever it is. But now that I'm at that age, I've realized I'm not a senior citizen. I have incredible years of experience and wisdom. And I have way more experience than I even had 10 years ago. And, and what, what I have now, which I didn't have, and all my friends say this, we don't look as good as we did, but we would never trade it to go back because I have a confidence now to share that wisdom. And I don't make the mistakes that I did. And um, my life is so much more grounded than it was. I mean, I was always, I was always really together in my life, but there's something that I have now that just, there's, there's a place of comfort. And, and I, I wish that younger people would be able to look at people and talk to them and realize all that they have to share. I mean, I, I think that's, that's kind of the, the new frontier and diversity, equity, and, and, and inclusion. It's gotta be how we deal with the four yes. generations. Because I look at, I, we're in the process of moving from web two to web three. So web two was, it took us 10 years to figure out what we could do commercially with a web page. Now we're dealing with web three where we're looking at tokens, where we're basically saying, we're gonna give you a token. And that token could be the deed on a house. It could be a membership to an exclusive club or an exclusive event. And that token could be a piece of art. So how we deal with, you know, and, and it's basically the, the wild, wild west is yeah. what I tell people, but it reminds me so much 
of 91. You know, 91, I was working on my master's degree and I got my first word processor. So now we're in 2023 and we're looking at uh, something like a, a chat GPT, which in many ways is like a mm-hmm. word processor. In 93, we were looking at Mosaic and the first uh, graphic web browser. Now we've got these tokens, you know, and we've, we've got to figure out how do we create an environment where, where we can explore this new technology and not get hung up. Well, and here's where I want to go, because this is a, this is one that I'm really going to start speaking about. Um, while we have this technology, we are unraveling emotionally and mentally. And we look at the mental health issues right now. Um, I was just reading a very interesting article in the Wall Street Journal the other day on Gen Z um, and the levels of depression and anxiety. And they think they can actually pinpoint it to when young people were allowed to go on Instagram. And for my generation, and this is where I wish that people would respect the boomers, we didn't have any of this. We didn't have computers. We were so connected. We were so happy. And there are so many studies now that are showing that people that are more social are going to live longer. And isolation is extremely unhealthy. And when you're on your phone and you're texting somebody, you're essentially isolated because you're not seeing the micro expressions. You're not hanging out. You're not laughing. It's just not the same. And so I wish that people could go back to old, pick up the telephone, call somebody up, go be spontaneous and meet somebody and take a hike or meet up for a cup of coffee or drink, whatever. But we're, we're slowly, and a lot of this happened during the pandemic as well, where people got comfortable in their homes, but they're not as happy as they were. And... Yeah, I guess what I see in, in that regard is that, um there's there's a belief that that you're gonna i don't believe you can lead that that community up to a company i think you've got to take it upon yourself i think there's an opportunity there where you're taking it upon yourself to build community you know you you you, you it's almost like saying you you got to take it upon yourself to build family because i remember when i was uh and you know to go way back when i was in in greece and I was, you know, this was this was a time 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 before the 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 expensive Greek villas. I mean, this was a time when everybody slept on the beach, and it was it was a wonderful time. And and there were there were like four Swedish girls who were there, and I got to talking to them, and they said, "Look, they said we're not like Americans. So we keep friends forever." I said, "We are here." because one of the one of the friends was headed to Australia for two years. She was a journalist and she was going to Australia. And it was like, you know, we, we know we're gonna miss her. So we're having this, this wonderful two week vacation together before she leaves mm-hmm. to go to Australia. Nice. And she's and and they were going, you know, we have friends that that, you know, we remember them from kindergarten. Now, you could you could say, well, you know, oh, that's wonderful. But why isn't why isn't that possible in a world where where we are as connected as we are today? 
I mean, you, you can connect to anybody around, you can connect to billions of people. You know, what is it about our society that says it's okay to discard folks? You know, I understand toxic people, but no, not everybody's I think toxic. A lot of it, I think it's priorities. And I am known, my husband calls me pathologically social. And in fact, two days ago, I walked with a friend of mine, Scott, who I went to kindergarten with. We both grew up right outside of New York City. We now live north of Philly. And, um, you know, I, I am always one that values relationships. I have a headset phone, a landline, a headset phone, and I put on the pack and clip it on, put my headset on. And when I'm doing work around the house, I pick up the phone and I call somebody. I, I value my friendships. I stay connected. And I think what an organization can do is they can host different events. Like my, my son works um, for an a company outside of Philadelphia. And they all go and play disc golf or they go, you know, they have certain events where people can get together or social events. It's like even with diversity and inclusion, you can host cultural events where you're going to have. Um, you know, there's a, a calendar called diversitybestpractices.com, and that shows all of the dates in the year that um, honors or, or highlights different cultures. And you could have highlight different foods and have people, in, you know, you just bring people together because when you do that, you're going to get a more collaborative um, relationships. I, I, we're becoming more and more divided. Social media is destroying us in many ways. I mean, social media has connected me with people that I haven't seen in years that I absolutely love. You can use social media in a good way and you can use it in a very unhealthy way. And in many regards, we become so unhealthy because it's causing so much division, so much misinformation, and people really need to be careful and respectful of it. So I'd like to go, uh, I don't know if it's a tangent or deeper, do you have any tips for navigating any tips that you wish to share for navigating these uncertain times from a career standpoint? Yes, um, main, the main tip is to learn about what is going on and what is current. I read the Wall Street Journal every day. I sit there at breakfast and at lunch and I read it. And there's so many different um, different tips and different trends that I see. I continue to talk to people within my own profession. Um, you know, you have to be do a lot of reading. I think you have to be careful of what you do read that's on the internet and know that what you are reading is coming from reliable sources. And so, you know, and, and be willing to be malleable and to be able to shift and don't just lock in. And one thing, I believe that people that are most successful are ones that change. In fact, I use what I call the Madonna model. And they say that the reason that Madonna was so successful is that she continually reinvented her image and reinvented her style over the course of 25 years. So she never became boring to people. And that's what I think of why I have been able to sustain my career because it's a challenging way to make a living. And uh, it's very, it's getting more and more competitive. Um, it's difficult because I don't have the, I don't have the luxury of knowing that I'm going to go to, to work on Monday and get a paycheck on Friday. I have to fight hard for every single engagement that I book. So um, you have to be on top of things. So I think a lot of it is just having that, that global awareness. What are people knowing what are people's problems and how can you solve their problems? And that's the most important thing. I think one of the best things I ever heard at the National Speakers Association 
was someone said that um, as you age, you need to learn to reach across generations. Yes, yes exactly. Because you know, you you're you're talking to folks, and you before you realize it, your stories are twenty five years old. You know, you're referencing uh, you're referencing TV shows that you know haven't even come up on the nostalgia mm-hmm. kick. You know, they're so old. You know, and and, and you think you you know, but you got to. And one of the things I remember about Madonna was she was always willing to to work with young people. You know, she was uh, Janis Jackson is the same way. The old jazz musicians, you know, they were always willing to take on mm-hmm. young talent because that's how you stay young. You know, that's how you stay relevant, I guess. It, it, not just young, but well, that's how you stay and relevant. And I think what has helped me personally is that um, I have so many young friends. In fact, my, my friends that are my age are not fun anymore because all they do is talk about their aches and pains. And and so when I was at that uh, live-in mastermind, one woman was 30 years younger than me. And I was definitely by far the oldest person there. And I had a I had a blast. And, and you know, I, I think it's important to, maybe because of my work, because I've done so much work with colleges and universities and working with professional athletes, and those guys are in their early 20s. Um, I just, you, you, you have to come in, in a, from a non-judgmental standpoint. You have to come in with an open perspective and understanding that these people were raised very differently than we are. And there's always common ground that we can find always ways to relate to somebody and you have to be real authentic and non-judgmental and i think that's how you can get across those generational lines and um and and value them because i often um i often say to them i learn more from them than they do from me my programs i am known why my programs are so effective I am known for my interactive exercises. I just did a large training for a a large law firm in New Jersey on diversity, equity, inclusion. And I get people up and moving and, 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 and openly sharing and talking. And the conversations and the things that I am able to draw from people are just they they just expand your awareness so much and i learned so much I, again i learn more from them than they do from me and the people like that when they can get up and move around it's, it's very impactful in fact they were saying when are you coming back because a lot of people don't do these types of trainings where it's interactive where you can engage their their thoughts in the conversation i'd like to pick up on something you said you were talking about um you're talking about working with athletes, uh, you know, college level, pro, pro level, and the young, you know, and I, I, I seem to remember you saying that you, you were doing the, the introductory, you know, when, when the, when the rookies came in, that you were doing a program for the rookies that had to do with alcohol and addiction and, and making bad choices. Would you talk a little bit about that and how it applies to the corporate world? What I want people to understand is that choices matter. So whether you're in a corporate environment or whether you're a professional athlete, the personal choices that you make in life make a huge difference. And you're a role model. You want people seeing your good behavior. For the athletes, I tell them, I want you to be remembered for your stellar performance on the field and not your indiscretions off because that's what people will remember. 
And so it's about making positive choices in regards to being out there in the world, how you relate to people. Um, even, you know, okay, look at the corporation, a corporate environment versus with the athletes, I'm talking to them about high risk drinking, sexual assault and healthy relationships with, um, you know, women or whatever, and um, sexual health and all that, being respectful to one another. In the work environment, do you want to be re remembered for being a person who is kind? Kindness goes a long way, and sometimes we don't have that. Or are you a jerk? And are you somebody that people don't respect and want to avoid? Are you coming into work hungover? Are you coming into work tired? Are you not showing up to be the best that you can? And so those are about personal choices in our life, too. And what you do outside of work definitely affects what happens, what you do in work. Are you taking care of yourself? Are you sleeping? Are you um, abusing drugs or alcohol? Are you eating well? Because when you are what you eat. So, you know, all of that comes into play in trying to get people to understand that we're not just our nine to five person and these are our tasks, but so much of what we do in our life affects what happens, what we do in our professional life. One of the things that I learned from working with the professional athletes and working with collegiate, I've worked with the most notable division one football programs. I've been with Alabama five times. I've been with Notre Dame. I mean, I, you know, culture starts at the top and it's at the very, very top. And I have seen where I have come into a room to the most disrespectful group of young men where you can't wrangle them in, where they don't care. And that typically the head coach is not there and they're just checking off a box to do the program. And then I will go into other programs where you can feel the respect for the coach when he comes in the room, where the person who hires me to come in starts off with the most incredible introduction of saying, this is important. We want you to show respect. Um, we want and and they set a standard, and I think that's what we what corporations can be doing too. Set that standard. What do you want out of your culture? What is important for your culture? And that stops starts at the top, and it trickles all the way down. No matter how high you are in an organization, you are not above everybody else. You have to look at yourself as as a human equal. Because I think when you look at yourself as an equal, even though maybe you might have more expertise, maybe you have more money into the business or whatever, but when you come to people on the same level that they're at, they're going to really shine for you and relate to you. What I was going, where I was going with that is, how does that apply to virtual management? You know, do those, do those same principles carry over once you go I, I believe that they do. I, um, my son, my daughter-in-law are working completely virtually at home. And I think the relationships are equally as important and crucial. It might be a little bit more challenging because you're not there face to face, but I think you need to still project that value and how much you value your team and what your expectations are for that team. And um, again, providing training for them so they can still address the needs of the clientele. And so, you know, relationships and respect still come across on Zoom, still come across on the phone. Think about it, you call customer service and you've got somebody that's just short. 
um, not even friendly, not even saying thank you. Or, or you know, there are times when I hang up and go, oh, nice. And, you know, so um, it comes across in many ways. So again, I think it's always having that continual conversation. You know, I've done a lot of programs for parents. And one of the things that I talk about when I talk to parents about talking to their children about um, high-risk behaviors and really sensitive issues, how many times do we tell our child to look both ways when they cross the road over and over again? But then how many times do we talk about these other things? Not so often. And so I believe that if an organization wants to really shine above the others, they need to keep these issues in the forefront and continually talk to their staff. As we start to wrap up, Elaine, is there anything you wish more people would ask you? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, in terms of specific topic or, or just in general, personally? The floor <laughs> is open. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, I like when people ask me what gives me passion or what drives me for my work. And I'd like to be able to inspire others to be better people. My, my whole goal is to en enhance a person's quality of life, enhance their relationships. And I try to help people live without regrets. And in terms of organizations, I want them to feel like that they can be the best that they can be by lifting up their staff, by respecting their staff, by supporting their staff and providing whatever they can for them. So I guess that's where it comes, where, where my passion is. You know, a lot of people go into speaking because they want to make money. I recently heard that um, somebody shared that they talked to this young man who said, oh, I, I wanna be a speaker. And they said, why? Because Because I wanna buy a new camera. And they don't understand what it takes and how hard this business is. And this isn't, a for me, it wasn't about making money. It was about passion because I didn't want anybody to go through what my family went through twice. And so that passion has stayed with me. And I think if you have passion in your life, you're going to be very gratified and feel good about who you are and most importantly about what you're doing. So making money is one thing. I always tell people, find your passion first and the money will follow. And that's it. Okay, you're not done. Now. No, I'm not, not done. done I'm yet. not. I'm not retiring anytime. Yeah. You know what? Zachary? No, I, oh, I got okay. a follow right. up there. I got a follow up. <laughs> so, what gets you up in the morning? The love of what I do. The love of what I do. My love for life. I love life. I'm a very. I'm an optimist. I've always been an optimist. I'm always looking at the world through a positive lens, and that's a choice that you can make. And in fact. Hanging on the back of my door here in my office is a little piece that says that life is 1% what happens to you and 99% attitude. And I have been knocked around quite a bit. I have had some pretty traumatic losses in my life. I was orphaned by the time I was 40. My dad died on a tennis court when I was 22 years old. He was only 49. Then I lose my mom and stepdad to AIDS-related complications. Lots of things. We all have our we all have our stories. And I say it's different variations on the same theme. We all go through traumatic events in our lives. How we handle them 
is what separates those that thrive from those who don't do so well. And so a lot of it is attitude. I And maybe because I, I embrace the relationships and the friendships and keep them close to me, that's what's gotten me through my tough times. And, and so as dark as things can be, I can always look and say, oh, but that's good. Oh, that's good. And there's always beauty out there in the world. There's always good things out there in the world. And so look for those things and you will retain a positive attitude. I developed a new program on resilience this year and uh, presented it a few times at some universities and it's been very well received. And it makes me, what, what I'm including in it is just day-to-day -day things that my generation grew up with, but it's not so natural to today's youth generation. And it makes me sad that they grew up very differently. So I'm happy to be able to share that to help people be happy in their lives. That's the most important thing. So what's the best way to follow you on social media? I'm on LinkedIn. So it's Elaine Pasqua, P is in Peter, A, S is in Sam, Q, U, A. I am also on Instagram and Facebook. You'll see lots of like flowers and gardens because I'm an avid gardener. So that's one thing that makes me happy. Um, and, um, and I'm also on Twitter, but I don't do a whole lot with Twitter. Twitter and I, we, we just don't get along as well. So, but I love, I love sharing my philosophies. A lot of people have said that they love my social media posts. I put a lot of intention into it. I'm not one of those people, look at me, look at me. I get tired of that. I'm tired of the selfie generation and the self-absorbed generation. I try to bring value to people. Elaine. As you know, the last time we've talked was at the start of the pandemic. And as I started to look at how this year was shaping up 2023, uh, I started to see a, a, another pivot heavy, uh, another pivot heavy year ahead of us. And I couldn't think of anyone I wanted to kick off the new year more than I wanted to talk to you. So thank you for I joining so us. I'm so honored on the that you Maker said Podcast. that, Zachary. Thank you so much. You, you filled my heart with that one. This is your host, Zachary Alexander. Please join us next time as we discuss what it takes to make a subscription flywheel.